Wings for the game. Boom. Cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom. Cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It is episode two of VanCast 2.0. We could actually call this the post-game show because we are coming to you live from the Abbotsford Entertainment Center following a 4-2 Vancouver win over the Calgary Flames in the second preseason game for the Vancouver Canucks. But instead of calling it a post-game show, we'll call it a post-camp show because we've got three days of camps in the books followed by back-to-back preseason games. Farhan Lalji and Thomas Drance. You'll be hearing this on Tuesday morning after these two games. And... Drancer, we got fans in the stands. We got other media in the press box. This is almost quite like old times, except the fact that we're in Abbotsford. Well, and Louis Erickson scoring goals in the desert. I mean, tonight had a little bit of everything. But look, this was the first Canucks game I've covered live with fans in the building. And the first NHL game I've done that with. I've seen like 100 games in empty rinks. Like, it was really nice just to hear the crowd roar, celebrate goals. You know, uh, like the the energy in this building after the Pearson goal. I mean, I know it was only 50% capacity, but, you know, it warmed the heart. There's something about that that just feels right. And, you know, uh, I mean, for all the worries that this game wouldn't sell <laughs> in the lead up to it, I thought I thought the atmosphere was pretty damn good tonight. Yeah, and I think it'll be like that for the games at Rogers Arena during the course of the season. Oh, yeah. I think those half arenas are still going to make a lot of noise, just like we've been able to see throughout the hockey world and really the sports world in for us, you know, we didn't get a chance to go to Tampa or go to any of the games in the United States or even for that matter in Montreal and, you know, in other in, in Canada, when we finally got to see a few fans in the stands, we didn't get a chance to experience that. So uh, just to have that in, a, in an arena was a lot of fun and, and just getting away from Zoom has oh, been awesome. It's been really awesome. But you know what? 
we're not all the way back. Like right now, so to help our fans understand this or our listeners anyway, whether you're fans or not, um, right now they're in this like sort of mixed zone uh, alignment in terms of media access. And so the players are pulled and they're pulled pretty far from the locker room. Like it's like a chore to come up. And, and I've found that in my conversations for the most part with players, it's still better than Zoom because at least they can see me, at least, you know, I can build, begin to build some of the rapport and credibility that comes with being there all the time. But it's not like I'm in their space going up to them and having a casual conversation. I found that a lot of the conversations that I'm having, a lot of the quotes that I'm getting sound like media answers. And I hate that. Like yeah. Farhan, it drives me nuts. Um, when it's a locker room, like when it's more organic and I'm in their space, I find it much easier to get something that feels unvarnished to me in the moment, that feels a little more conversational. And, and fundamentally, like I, I view my job, especially at The Athletic, as trying to bring conversation to people, not quotes. And right now I'm still, I, I almost find this to be, not, you know, in the Zoom era, I just got used to writing without quotes. And now I'm in this new sort of, we're in this new sort of mix zone era, and I need to find a way to manufacture conversation in it. I'm not there yet. It's going to take, I, I'm adjust, it's preseason for me too far in. Well, you know, I think we're going to eventually get back to where we at least were for those final couple of games before the COVID break set in a couple of years ago where they had a separate room set up and they did make some one-on-one -on -one accommodations for certain media members. And I'm sure you would be one of those. So I think it'll get there and we get to Rogers Arena and the, and the media room is closer than what they had to do here coming up to the upper level here in Abbotsford or the mid-level here. So it was a little different. But for me, Earlier in the day, going back to the Norm Jewison press room, oh, that was nice, and going to the bathroom across the hall <laughs> with the Norm Jewison. I know that seems like what you're talking about the bathroom. This is too much information, Farhan, and it is too much information. But it's just one of those small little things that felt normal again. So for me, look, and whether or not you want to hear about you know all these little kind of idiosyncrasies that we okay. have. They, you know, they might you know for Drancer, it's kind of the worst of both worlds because it's too loud to even get the f bombs. So we, we don't get that. So that's that's <laughs> tough. You can't hear the bench conversation. But listen, let's talk a bit about not just tonight's game, but what we've seen in, in camp so far. And I think the one guy for both of us that we've talked a lot about that, that's made an impression because that third left side defenseman spot was such a big topic of conversation coming into this with Olio Levy and, the, and then Brad Hunt as well that, uh, that came into the organization. And whether or not Jack Rathbone, given his contractual situation, the fact that he's easy to get waived, all of the other variables that go with Jack Rathbone, where he sat in all of this. But right now, he's the clubhouse leader. You'd think so, yeah, especially after tonight. You know, it was a weird experience for me watching that stream on NHL TV on, on Sunday night in Spokane because, you know, Jack Rathbone has a nightmare shift, takes a penalty. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, boy, this is really not going his way. and then you know, sprung out of the box, gets the, gets the breakaway, scores. And, you know, he added an assist later, filled the stat line, a couple penalty minutes. I mean, you know, everything, right? But as I watched that game and as I watched the defensive play and I, as I watched the amount of time that he spent in his own end, not that it was all on him, I thought to myself, Jack Rathbone is showing what he can do. But we know what Jack Rathbone can do, and so does this coaching staff and so does this management team. There's no question about his dynamic offensive game. If Jack Rathbone's going to win a spot, right? If he's going to win the opening night LD spot, and that might be on the third pair, depending on what happens with Quinn Hughes far end, that could be on the first pair. If he's going to win that spot for me, as I've thought through it, it's not about showing what you can do. It's about earning trust, right? That That is the task for him. And watching him tonight, 
Second game of a back-to-back in Abbotsford. We don't have ice time, but he's probably played 40-ish minutes of hockey over 24 hours now. Um, you know, the game he had on Monday night in Abbotsford, that's the game that's going to get him into the opening night lineup. Like, he was controlled. He won a ton of battles, ton of smart plays. Not sure he picked up a single point. He had sort of like the third assist on a, on the, uh, you know, Chase Wooters goal. But I thought tonight he looked composed. He looked assertive. You know, I, I thought he was the best defenseman on the ice for the Canucks, even though OEL was the first star of the game. Uh, that was the type of performance that's going to be impossible for this coaching staff to ignore. Yeah, there were some moments in his own end. And for me, I'm the same way. I tend to look at his defensive play a little bit more where he got tested and he got banged in the corner and he was staying, he stayed strong. He was able to stay on the puck, still exit the zone and do things. But, you know, I always find that to be a fine line because if you are an elite offensive player and you can consistently deliver offensively, coaches will live with your warts. It's the player that is supposed to be really good offensively that kind of sometimes delivers. You can't live with their warts. Right. Because sometimes you can outscore your mistakes. You know, and look, we, we see that with Quinn Hughes, right? Last year, certainly the first year, he didn't have as many defensive hiccups. But last year we saw a guy that had some defensive hiccups, but he outscored all of that. And he had built trust the previous year. But you know, if if Rathbone can be as good as advertised and as dynamic and productive as advertised, you don't want to be around it, you want to be in it, you want to be on the stat sheet. You know, I think you're gonna give yourself a chance. So I think we looked at Rathbone a little bit differently, right? Because I think everybody kind of looked at him objectively. I'm not sure any of us really are looking at Pod Colson objectively. And and I say that because I think we all want to see the good stuff. You know, sometimes you come in and you look at a certain player and you're ready to see the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And in the case of of Vasily Pod Colson, any tiny good thing he does, we're all over it, right? Whether it's a small physical thing, whether it's just a, a smart play, just a good read, a good back check, you know. And look, there's a lot of those moments. So, so I'm not sitting here minimizing what he's showing us, but we're, we're looking for every little thing to justify his spot in the opening line. And probably the coaches are too. Yeah. The thing about Pod Colson, though, is that's also kind of what he is, right? Yeah. I mean, and this is what I've been trying to caution people with who are – looking for this guy like we're so used to seeing really good 20 year old players make this team now in this marketplace like we saw it with Besser maybe he was 21 but we saw it with Besser we saw it with Pedersen we saw it with Hoaglander we saw it with um you know uh, there's someone else but yeah Hughes right we've seen these guys but all of those guys made offensive impacts in a way that I don't think it's fair to expect of Pod Colson just based on how productive he's been at the World Juniors and in the KHL like this is a guy who, when he hits his peak effectiveness in the in the NHL, is probably going to be more of a stopper, more of an assertive two-way piece. And no one has those skills at the NHL level at the age of 20, right? So playing this like responsible, muted game might be what he does in his rookie season. And that is going to look very different to us than, you know, honestly, what we've seen from other talented Canucks players who've made the lineup, but also what we might see this year from Jack Rathbone. Yeah. Right. And and so I'm curious to see how perception flips a bit because you're right. You know, I, I mean, I was watching him. There was a shift in the offensive end and he he made a nice touch. Like he had a nice touch with the puck to keep possession. He won a battle along the boards and then he went for a change. And I, and I said to Harmon, I legitimately said to Harmon Dial, who I was sitting beside, I was like, I like that he kept his shift short. Yeah, you did. I heard that. <laughs> I heard that. But you're right. It's like, okay, you know, like, well, and and you know, and you know what Harmon said. 
he would say, yep, you're right, which is really the, the words that he says a lot whenever Thomas brings something up. Yep, exactly. I thought the same thing. <laughs> well, but he did. That's the thing. Well, but, but <laughs> it's true. You, you know, it's the truth. But, you know, here's the thing. Like, I looked at Nils Hoaglander last year, and very early we noticed his work rates. Mm -hmm. And there was a buzz every time he was on the ice. But then we kind of got through a middle of the season stretch where there was buzz and there was no bottom line. Mm -hmm. And when you're a player like that, and, and there's offensive expectation for you, there better be a bottom line, yeah, right? And there wasn't. And then eventually the final month and a half, or sorry, the final month before COVID, and then there were some moments after COVID, he, he was able to produce a little more, and we saw the bottom line. So I'm curious to see how Pod Colson is going to be judged because people may not expect the bottom line. They might, as you say, based on those other players. But, you know, I, I think our expectations should change because the bottom line we're used to seeing from the rookies just may not be there. No, it might not be. And that's okay. I mean, that's not... But there won't be buzz either. Like, you, do you know what I mean? Like those yeah. energy shifts, it's just going to be subtle from minute one. Yeah, no, I know. It's just going to be a big body doing smart, professional hockey things. And, you know, look, I think there will be a bottom line. I thought he was fine tonight. Like, I, I thought he had, I thought he was good in the first period and sort of tailed off for me in the second and the third. But I thought he was good. I thought it was a totally fine debut. And I'm curious to see what else he does. Look, he, there's a lot to like there. Uh, there's a lot. You know, that's like I, that's obvious in addition. It's not all just subtle stuff. This is not little things pod calls in, right? This is not. <laughs> Are you sure Louis scored? <laughs> yeah, Louis scored a big goal. That was loud things. Loud things, Louis. Yeah. Now in Arizona. Contract year, Louis. We're, we got to watch this, by the way. This The Louis Erickson contract year, I'm like almost more excited for it than I am any Canucks preseason. Oh, could you imagine if he came up with an 18-goal season? 20. 20. Oh. <laughs> a couple other players that that I've noticed for, for all the right reasons. And, you know, we talk about Pud Coles and doing all the, the little things. We can't call it. We got to no, get, no, get, get away from that. I know. But you brought it up. You're I right. know. I know. Alex Jason and Jonah Gadjevich. So two bigger bodied players that can bring a, bring a physical element to this. Now, everybody wanted to see Pod Colson get more run. I tweeted this earlier, and, and he never did. And we're just wondering why, given how low the stakes were. But skating was a question for this player last year. And you got the sense that the coaching staff knew what they knew, and they saw what they saw, and they didn't need to see more. But Travis Green points out today that he looks like he's committed a bit of time this offseason to his skating. And Jason, with, with his size, veteran player here on a PTO, you know, I, I think any of these PTOs are going to be a bit, bit of a long shot to make this team, or, I mean, I know they were talking to others is only the one now, but um, do either one of these guys have an opportunity, a legitimate opportunity to be in the mix as the 12th or 13th forward to be a fourth line guy here? Yeah, I think they can be, but I don't think Gadjevich, let's start with Gadjevich. I don't think he's there yet. And I know, you know, he scored a goal in both scrimmages. He had an excellent assist on Monday in his first preseason game. Um, you know, there was a lot to like about his game. I, I thought like there was a shift in particular where he called for the quick up, but Lockwood and DiPietro sort of got their signals crossed. So by the time the puck got to him, he was covered again. And he just tried to tip it by a Flames defender, but it hit the Flames defender like relatively high in the chest area. He recovered his own puck and skated around. And he ended up dumping it in, into the near end. And rather than chase it toward the near end where he knew sort of that he wouldn't win that battle, he went around the long way and actually anticipated the play really smartly. Um, got it, retrieved the puck after, you know, it had touched a couple flames and then sent it up high, got body position at the net front, which he was really good at getting all evening and then deflected it. It just went wide. He had some really deft hands on a couple of shifts, but 
It was the level of control, right? It was like the entire shift was his, but it was the level of intelligence and control evident on that shift that caught my eye and impressed me. I think he's starting from further behind the eight ball than people would like. I think he has minds to change. And when you have minds to change, it's, you know, it's, you're not making a first impression. You're undoing, you know, certain preconceived notions that the organization might have about him. And so I think there's road to run here yet, but he does look faster. He does look more dynamic. The passing played on Monday in Abbotsford. If he can keep, you know, layering these big moments at some point, it'll become impossible to deny, but you know, he was on a line with Lockwood and Chase Wooters, right? Like, the other thing to remember is, you know, he's not getting the chase on opportunity with Horvat and Pearson yet. Like he's not been put in that spot. He wasn't put in that spot in training camp either. So yeah, he scored goals in the scrimmages. He was like the only experienced professional player on the ice for those goals. Like there's sort of a different level that like more veteran level where you spend time against the other NHL level players in preseason. And then there's being on a line with Lockwood and Wooters where you're playing the Flames' fourth line for 10 minutes a night. And it's like, he's looking good in those minutes. Yeah. But until I see the organization, until I see him break through to where he's getting prime time chances, he wasn't on power play too. Like, that's another thing I read a ton into. It's like Dowling, Highmore, like all those guys. No look at Gadjevich at the net front on PP2. That to me suggests that, you know, while he's performed well, while he's maybe begun to change some minds, they're not giving him the looks that you'd expect them to give someone who's got a real shot here. And so I think that's really important to keep in mind. Uh, with Chase on, Chase on got PP1. Uh, I mean, he got that primetime spot on the right wing with Horvat and Pearson, uh, a role that McEwen had held down throughout training camp. He had a couple of eventful shifts. I thought he looked like a big body that was going to win some battles and, you know, sort of be there. Uh, you know, he his bread and butter's on the power play. He's really good at the net front. That's kind of what he does. Five on five. You know, he's he's a fourth line piece for me. But you know, but I mean, that's ultimately what they're battling for anyway. So like, we, yeah. we wouldn't have expected anything more than that. No, and I mean, X guy who can play center, Chase Son and Di Giuseppe is like an opening night fourth line. I mean, that one stunned me personally. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think Chase on at the moment, although I would say that Gadjevich has outperformed Chase on on balance, uh, you know, I think Chase on has the better shot. Yeah, I, I looked at a guy like Lockwood, who you mentioned earlier, playing on a line with Gadjevich is another guy that I think has made some noise, but... Again, they've got a lot of road to run, as you mentioned, and maybe they're just auditioning them as a pretty good line that's going to play right here at Utica. Or Utica. You're in Abbotsford, much like maybe Ole Olevi and Jet Wu are being auditioned together as an Abbotsford defensive pair, but we'll get into the defense in a minute. Wings for the game. Boom, cash back. New lucky jersey. Boom, cash back. Even a last-minute ice run can score you some cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, we said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who's taking the W, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees? Period. I'm telling you, this one is a game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. So I mentioned the two defensemen, Ole Olevi and Jet Wu. What have we seen from Olevi so far through three days of camp? You know, we talked about it in the VanCast earlier in this earlier in the week, but has anything happened in these two preseason games to make you think anything's going to be different going forward? Well, he got the ultimate kiss of death from Travis Green after the Sunday game, which was he was asked to react to Oyelevy's performance, and he said he was fine. That's like that's like the kiss of death. That's like the worst possible thing <laughs> <laughs> that you'll ever hear from Green. So yeah, I mean. He, you know, he failed the fine test. I think he got some opportunities, killing penalties uh, on the five on six uh, on on Monday. I thought he played better. He was hearing it from the crowd. I don't know if you heard this, but the there was oh, yeah. someone in you know the media section near us who was like really cutting into him, just like you know, welcome to Habitsford, holy like you'll have you like <laughs> you're gonna be spending a lot of time here. <laughs> I kind of felt bad for him. That guy saw you in the press box and decided he wants to find a way to be in the armies. Oh, well, unfortunately, we don't do them in the preseason. He should what? have saved the same material. Yeah, we don't do that. It's regular season only. Games have to count for the armies. Well, so so what do we do? We just do the report card, the scorecards. No, we do different things. I mean, we're not... We, we, we'll probably, Post-game, though. Come on, you got to do something. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do stopwatch today. But yeah, I mean, we'll do different stuff as it goes. It depends what the game is, and it depends if it... You know, we'll, we'll, we'll gear up. We'll gear up to game coverage as we go here. But Oli should be booking accommodations at an Abbotsford location soon is what you're thinking. I, I do think so, yeah. I'm, I mean, it's probably not too late. I, I don't think he's seen his last preseason action. So there's a chance to flip this narrative a bit. But again, you don't want to be behind the eight ball. Like, there's too many bodies competing for this job. Like, as, as impressed as we were with Jack Rathbone the last two games, like, what's Brad Hunt done to lose this job? Like, he's played really well. He was great in camp, excellent shape. Like, that battle's still just shaping up. You know, Yolevi's behind at the, like, second turn. You know what I'm saying? There's still 250 meters in this lap. It's, like, not even half run. It's not even close to half run. So, it's early. There's time to keep up or time to catch up. But, man, man, has he got to close with a significant wind sprint. Uh, much more significant than he managed in the 40 skate. Um, See, I saw him today, and, and I thought he was great. You know why? What? Didn't notice him once. Yeah, I mean, sure, but Jack Rathbone, you noticed positively. Yeah, but if I'm not noticing Ole Olevi negatively, that's a good thing at this point. Yeah, I'm sure, but I mean, yeah, you're right. It is, but it's also not sufficient to catch up the way that I described. Right? Like he's got ground to make up now, and you know, I, I we'll see. We'll. I'm not counting it out. It's early in the preseason yet, but. I do think it's a tall order. If he gets waived, does anybody take a flyer on him? He has the profile of the type of guy that teams might look at. You know, high draft pedigree, teams like that. Um, 750K, it's a one-way deal, though. Yeah, I, I would I would say I have no real sense of it, to be honest. I can't think of a guy who I have less sense of whether or not they'd be claimed. Um, but, you know, even money, like pick them. Uh, for me, 50-50. Uh, there might be a team that gives them another shot based on the pedigree and injury history, but um, you know, I, I don't think the industry is high enough on him that the Canucks could like monetize him in a trade prior to putting him on waivers. No, definitely not. Um, the player they traded for, Oliver ekman Larson, was the number one star. And I don't know if that was management just saying, let's just tell everybody he was the number one star, but he did play, play fairly well in this game. And 
you know, he, he's been noticeable in camp offensively. They blew it up though. Like Travis, they did. Like, he was so assertive. It's like, I don't know. He was fine. Like that Rathbone or sorry, that, uh, Pullman OEL pair had some good moments and, and Ekman Larson was like aggressive and active throughout the game and threw the body a bit, took a couple hits. I mean, I do think he wanted to, you know, prove something. Um, but I don't like, I don't know. That wasn't a world beating performance. I don't know that he was more noticeable than I don't that was Norris trophy worthy right there. I mean, he wasn't setting the table. Was he as good as Jack Rathbone tonight? No, no, no. First star. Anyway, whatever. I, I liked, I, I liked how he handled the media today. I will say like, you know, when we were at Rogers arena this morning in the or Norman J James, Oh my goodness. Norman Jewison in media room. Uh, you know, I, I threw him the, the bag skate question because we hadn't, I hadn't had a chance to ask him about it. So I was like, you know, um, maybe I'm rewinding the tape too far, Oli, but was this, did, did you learn anything about playing in the Vancouver market from the viral reaction to your 40s skate performance? And he had fun with it. Don't you think? Like he didn't shy away from that. He wasn't, took no umbrage. He laughed. He made a joke about being told to stay off Twitter. Uh, and then he, you know, said, look, I worked hard. I thought I was in shape. I learned a lot about that drill. I'll do better next year. Like he sort of owned it, but he owned it in a self-deprecating way. And he didn't shy away from the question. He seemed affable, right? I, I mean, I thought, I thought considering like, you know, first crisis managed by new Vancouver Canuck defender, I, it's something anyway. And good on you for asking that far into it. Cause I'd asked him a few questions ahead of that, but uh, didn't get into the bag skate. Yeah. I mean, I, had, I was just like, look, I got to do it. I got to, I got to rewind it. I also thought it was interesting. I did ask him about Jack Rathbone too. And, you know, sometimes players will be like, you know, you, you see them, their eyes glaze. They're like, oh, I guess I have to say the right thing here. You know what I'm saying? But I thought that was a pretty genuine, like, he's, he was great. He's been really good. Like, I'm really impressed. I thought that was a pretty genuine response from OEL uh, and high praise, too, for the clubhouse leader in that third pair LD race. What about just he and Pullman and how they look together? Yeah. I, I mean, there were some moments where you, Pullman's such a good skater, eh? He's a really fast skater. Uh, his mobility is excellent. I, you know, I think so long as Pullman is, I think so long as Pullman is covering for OEL's, you know, occasional misadventures in transition and not trying to do too much offensively himself, I think it works, right? I think that's a really crucial part here, though, is that OEL, uh, you want Pullman playing a really contained game and allowing OEL's superior offensive instincts to sort of shine through uh, because there's some times that Pullman makes decisions with the puck that, you know, leaves me pretty cold, to be totally honest. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying he's my new Jake Vertanen or anything, but there, there's some there's some shots that were taken or some passes that I just think, ooh, like, you know, that's that's not what you want to see happen if he's going to be logging big minutes on a regular basis with, for example, Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat and JT Miller. Like you want a defender who's not going to take things off the table that way on in-zone play or off the rush. So, yeah, I mean, look, I've been actually pretty impressed with Tucker Pullman at camp, I think. And, and that pair looks like it makes sense in terms of the calibration of it. I just think it's going to be really important that Pullman plays within himself. And we've talked a lot about, well, you've talked especially a lot about that comparison to the Edler-Schmidt pairing that's gone, you know, that, yeah, the Canuck blue line was not good on any level last year, but that pair was the best of a bad bunch and how this 
pair is going to compare to that pair um, just from what you've seen. And again, it, it's a preseason game, but I'm just talking about how they potentially complement one another and how it might fit with how those two, because there were times over the course of the year where like they tried to wrote, they tried to go through pairs on a regular basis because just nothing stuck. And it felt at times like Edler and Schmidt were just together because they were just together. Right. And, and do you know, do you know what I'm yeah. trying to say? Just because, you know, Hamannick fit with Hughes once he kind of found his game a little bit again, but it just felt like they were put together just because you couldn't have Tyler Myers on that pair. So this was kind of the best option. And, and, you know, whereas this group, this pairing is trying to, you know, they're trying to build some chemistry. They're trying to get some stuff going from the beginning of training camp and it might have the potential to do a little bit more. Do you, do you have a Tony Gallagher impression in your, uh, in your, I don't, not at all. Yeah, you, you do. Okay. I, uh, Tony used to say to me that training camp was his least favorite time of year because there was too much optimism. <laughs> and that's what I feel watching OEL and Pullman play together. It's like they, they were Vancouver's best pair for all that. I thought Jack Rathbone was better than OEL on Monday night. They've been Vancouver's best pair across scrimmages and one preseason game. But like, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? They, I can see in my mind's eye why it makes sense that they could be more than the sum of their parts, but I really need to see them do it for like 45 games, right? Before I'm going to say, hey, these two guys that were basically replacement level players together are independently on different teams last year are now, you know, a, a, a average or better top four pair for Vancouver. Like I'm, I'm really going to need to see a pretty significant burden of proof, proof farhand before I'm going to say, you know, that was genius. It worked. Like we need to see a lot here before we get to that point. Right. Yeah, I think we do. Um, it's so early. And I think we're, you know, Canuck fans across the board are looking for something from these two because without it, this team flat out can't work. Yeah. Right. It, it's just not going to be able to get it done unless these two guys can, you know, not, not necessarily be difference makers, but they've got to be better. The sum of that part has to be better than they were individually in their last stops. Like Pullman can't be Tyler Myers 2.0 in Winnipeg, right? Like a player that got rolled out there in a second pair that really should have been a third pair guy, right? And OEL was a first pair salary guy that ultimately got second pair minutes behind a really, really young player who all of a sudden elevated past him. Like they need these guys to be legitimate top four value players and maybe collectively they can be that. So we talked about Pod Coles and everyone's looking for the best. We might be doing that here. And in the words of Tony, it might be too positive. Yeah, I might be too optimistic. <laughs> too optimistic. We would never want that. No, but uh, but Pullman and Oliver Eggman Larson, at the end of the day, they they passed what what tests they could pass in terms of their first preseason game, right? Like they passed the they looked solid test. And I don't know what else you can ask for. So no, they were good. You know, there have been a fair few good performances, and the Canucks are going to need them, especially with all the uncertainty surrounding Travis Hamannick. Yeah, let's get let's get to Travis Hamannick uh, before we get too deep into this. And he's not here still. Uh, you know, I asked Travis Green about it. He didn't have any update to offer earlier today. But as we get closer to Friday and we get closer to October 1st, which is the deadline to opt out, and look, I, I think we all understand one another. We're not trying to pry into Travis Hamannick's personal life, but given the circumstances that have led us to this point where the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks said on the opening of training camp that every player here is going to be vaccinated and there's one player that's not here and there's not really 
another explanation. And I think people close to the situation believe this is vaccine related. I think we all believe it's it's vaccine related, which would lead you to believe that he doesn't have it yet. Um, where where does this end? Well, it could end in any number of ways, Farhan. But here's the thing to remember, right? The COVID protocols as they apply to this season provide teams with a wide degree of latitude, right? To suspend without pay in terms and not and not all season or anything, but in in the event that a player at an, if it, if it at any point a player is unavailable due to their presence on the COVID protocol and they are unvaccinated. Um, and that includes testing positive at any point, right? They lose pay. They are docked pay. Uh, the league, unlike the NBA and the MLB, did not apply for a national interest exemption, meaning that players cannot cross the border. That costs players significant, significant dollars. Like if you are making a million dollars and you play for the Vancouver Canucks, like for every million you make, you're probably losing 400K of it just based on how many days Vancouver spends in the United States. And the list goes on beyond that. Like, a player who's unvaccinated reporting to a team for training camp can, at the discretion of the team doctor, be subject to a seven-day quarantine that can then be extended for an additional seven days. Like the Canucks can, in the event that they had an unvaccinated player who they wanted to get vaccinated and were unwilling to work with in the event that they weren't, could subject that person to a 14-day quarantine, you know, reassign that player to the American League. And then, you know, have that player get docked a significant amount of their pay over the course of their season in the American League. It's a it's an it's a brutal situation. And so, you know, everyone's talking about three outcomes, right? This these the, the, the three outcomes are. You get the shot, you come. Great. That's a perfect outcome for the Canucks. They need another right handed defenseman like they need Travis Hamannick. They need him on the PK. They like him with Hughes. They kind of need Travis Hamannick. I'm sure they'd be thrilled with that outcome. The other outcome is the opt-out. Now, if a player opts out by the October 1st deadline, the team has 60 days to inform that player in writing whether or not they want to toll a year of that contract. Now, to toll a year of that contract means the player would lapse the season. So Hamannick's on a two-year deal. The first year of that deal would lapse even though he wasn't being paid for that year. So he'd still have another year remaining. Um... And then the third option is retirement, which a lot of insiders were bringing up in connection with Hamannick on Monday. No chance. Like I don't, I don't see any chance. Hamannick's contract's backloaded. He's due a one point two five million dollars signing bonus in a year. For me, that's not a realistic option. So you know, we sort of look down this and understanding too the shape of this. Like for me, this is fundamentally not a story about Hamannick so much as it's a story about the latitude that's been provided to teams and the lack of contractual protections that have been provided to players who decide to be unvaccinated within an NHL context. And if you want to understand why there's 60 to 90 NBA players that are unvaccinated and there's only 10 or so NHLers, then why the NHL got to a 99% vaccination rate? It's because the NHLPA and the NHL, to their credit, and I'm loath to give it, to their credit, designed protocols with serious teeth that make it extraordinarily difficult and for for a player not not just difficult but also hit them in the wallet like like punitive it is punitive to be an unvaccinated nhl player that's why you've seen so many get it and we'll see how this plays out but the context to bear in mind here is that you know 
there's no good options for the player in this circumstance. And, and there aren't really great ones for the Canucks either, unless he gets the shot and comes in. Well, and the trickle-down effect from all of this is if he does, in fact, opt out, the Canucks get that cap savings, depending on what they choose to do with that contract. And you wonder how much this is affecting Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Now, we've talked about this before, and you, you brought up the solution, which has made so much sense, and I, you know, and I had this discussion earlier, but there's $15 million to play with, give or take a half million dollars. If I'm Jim Benning, I'm like, Pat Brisson, here's $15 million. Figure out how you want to divide it, right? And so he's probably waiting to see if there's a $17 million available, depending on what happens with Travis Hamannick. Because, of course, even if he goes, the Canucks do have to replace him. So you do have to spend some of that money. But is this being impacted? I know the Rashmus Dahlin, people believe that's impacting Quinn Hughes, uh, you know, because he's getting a $6 million AAV on a three-year deal. I think most believe that Hughes is going to come in at a larger term than that. Pedersen might wind up with a three-year uh, with the three-year term, but how much of an impact is Hamannick having here? Is it delaying this process? Maybe, a maybe a little bit. I mean, if you're CAA and there's a limited pool of money and you think that that limited pool of money might grow in the near future, I mean, why wouldn't you wait it out a bit at this point? Uh, the only problem, by the way, with your uh, formulation of like, here's 15, you figure out how, how, how to sort it is CAA then comes back and is like, it's a four-year deal for Patterson yeah, well, and a five-year yeah, deal those two numbers are the Those two numbers are the non-starters, okay? But after that... <laughs> well, and I think that's a real concern. I mean, you hear about, uh, you know, a lot of people talking about a five-year deal for Pedersen, right? Like, if you don't have the cap space to get both the deals done, what's the last thing you have to trade? It's control, right? Like, what's the last thing you have to seed in negotiations? It's control in terms of, you know, RFA years versus UFA years. It's buying one instead of two. It's buying, you know, none instead of three, right? Like that is the last thing that you can concede to get these deals done should that pressure ramp up. There's got to be real concern, especially with how the last 18 months of this franchise's history have played out, that that's actually what they're after. Like that would be my concern if I'm the Canucks. Well, and if you heard Pedersen's comments over the summer, and I know some of those were misinterpreted on Google Translate potentially, but he wants to see what's going on. And yeah, like, look, you can say this is your money, but we're not giving you those two terms. Like, can you can you not? Because really, that's all you have. You're giving them every penny you've got left. Well, yeah, and I'm not saying we're going to see a four-year deal for PD or a five-year deal for Quinn Hughes that rocks them to free agency. But, you know, if we see six or if we see five, I mean, that's the same thing. Like, that's the same thing. Six for, for Hughes, five for, for Pedersen. I, you know, I, I do think relinquishing that control, I mean, that's suboptimal. These guys are no brainers to go long on for it. Like but they don't have the money for that. Yeah, you're right. I know. But that doesn't, it, sometimes, sometimes something is like wrong and we get so used, like we get in the context of like where the team has backed themselves into that we lose sight of the fact that like 
that doesn't make sense. And yeah, it still needs to be said. But, but now you're dolly walled. You're coming at me and saying everybody deserves full pay. Like you, <laughs> you can't do that just because the agents are telling you that's what they should get. Like you, you can't do that. Like they're in a reality now. They put themselves there. There's no doubt they put themselves there. And, and look, this is an indictment on Jim Benning that they're in this position, that he didn't get these done first, that he went out and overspent and signed a couple of questionable deals in all of this, made a took a huge leap of faith on a trade and the Tanner Pearson thing during the season, like all of it he has to wear. But this is where they are now. So what's the solution without giving up five and four? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's bridge deals. Like, I think it has to be bridge deals. And maybe you go to six with, with Hughes, right? I mean, that would be my... That would be my two possible solutions here. But I, I even think bridge deals are hard to get done with, with Pedersen at the moment. So, you know, I, I think it's, I think. What's his downside to not use the bars all comparable and take three times seven, five. Well, the, the reason is, is, you know, there's 17 players that have hit over 0.9 points per game. Barzell didn't. And I have, and you know, the only other guys that have done that over the life of their ELCs are, you know, like Hall of Famers, basically, <laughs> or or in in the most recent class, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, and Mitch Marner. So why am I? Why are we even using, you know, the the Braden Point and like I accomplished more over the course of my yeah. But you've years. also had an injury history in those years. Yeah, totally. But I mean, that doesn't change the body of work. Do you not believe in me? Oh, that's that's why. Do I, I might not believe that you can stay healthy. That's why I want a four year deal then, because you're maybe maybe I'm not healthy because you know I mean I'm just saying it gets. It gets touchy. I, I, for what it's worth, I agree. Like when you look at what Marner and point, you know, Marner was like a hundred point player in his platform year. So yeah, he got a crazy deal. Like Quinn Hughes had what? 21 points in 26 games, right? Uh, Marner or sorry, point was point ended up at three point three times 6.75. And he was a 40 goal scorer in his platform year, right? Like the, the fact is, I mean, even Barzil had like an 86 point season, you know, I do think that it's hard to argue. For me, Barzil's the closest comp. And if that one's out the window, I think it's going to be really, really tough for the Canucks to get that deal done without overpaying. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you throw that out the window, but I guess uh, I guess they all have their way to do it. Uh, we're about to wrap things up. Any more on this, on, on those two players? I mean, Travis Green, we did talk to him earlier today about it. Uh, you know, and it was kind of the same message. Disappointed he's not here. They're not here now. Uh, talked about how, you know, it's not just that he wants them here for team purposes. These players need to also improve and training camp is a part of their improvement process. And at what point does Travis Green, I don't want to say get aggressive, but does, does he go into gym and say, we got to find a way to get this done? Or does like, what happens here? Does the coach have any role in this? Well, I mean, Travis, I think is always aggressive. <laughs> I think Travis, I think he's a pretty outspoken person uh, in general about what he'd like. Uh, you know, here's the thing that, that I looked up the other day that I was thinking about the other day. Pedersen hasn't played an NHL game since March 2nd, seven months ago. Like say he misses all of training camp. How long do you want him to skate before you, you know, expect him to be Pedersen? I mean, you need to get him some preseason games. Surely, surely like crucial. I mean, seven months, a seven month layoff is a long time, especially with an ailment that, you know, was mysterious and, you know, it has a tendency like wrist injuries are that's oh, yeah. a that's a tough part of the body. Those yeah, can wrist, linger wrists and backs. You, you never know if they're completely right. Right. So, I mean, I you want him like he's Quinn Hughes. I think you, I think Quinn Hughes could eat a bag of chips every day and step on the ice and play 25 minutes and like not break a sweat. Like that's just who he is. 
I, I'm not, I, I personally, I'm not too worried about Quinn Hughes's absence, but I, I mean, the stakes have got to be extra high to get Pedersen some tune-up games and some tune-up practices, ideally some pacey tune-up practices before you get going here, right? Am I, am I wrong? For here? a player that has an injury history, it's been a small sample size, but like the Canucks don't think they're not talking about that, right? Like if that's, if that's part of it, like this is a player you want, you want fit, you want ready. And look, he, he works his tail off. Yeah. I'm sure he's worked exceptionally hard in Sweden. I'm sure he's working very hard with Quinn Hughes' father right now in Michigan, and they're doing everything they need to to get ready. But game action is game action. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I don't buy the Pedersen is injury prone thing. Like, there, you know, he had the what? He had a concussion in his first season, and he had a Matt Greslick bad hit that seemed to you know rock him for one game. Like he he missed one game and he wasn't right for one game, and then he was totally fine. And well, and then he had a freak wrist injury. Like whatever. I'm not. I'm not calling that player injury prone personally. I, but but man, you got to get him some. You got to get him some preseason games, um, especially with, you know, the way that he produces, like the lethal sort of efficiency of his shot. Like he's kind of like a clock. Like it all kind of works together. Like there's a you know a precision. That's the word. There's a precision to his game, and I, I do think. It, you, you can't you can't just find that you can't just waltz in and find that you need to kind of be tuned up for it um you know i think the leverage of getting him in a preseason is massive especially now that that jt miller and and uh tanner pearson are on rolls after their preseason goals are they <laughs> I did, that jt miller like poke it home goal. um yeah also i'm i'm done with jt miller at center so they need to get pd into camp because i don't want to see that i i want to see him play wing man i'm i'm really I'm really fed up with this. Like JT Miller is not a center. I'm I'm done with this. I hated it last year. I was willing to give it a bit of a chance this year. I haven't seen anything to get me excited about JT Miller at center at all. I'm not convinced they're done with it. Even if Pedersen comes back, I think they like the thought of their three centers being Pedersen, Miller, and Horvat, and just how deep that could potentially make them look. I, I'm not a fan of the idea. Uh, I, I think he's much better on the wing. I don't think he drives play at center. I think he can win faceoffs while playing the wing because he's generally taken most of the faceoffs when he's been out there with Pedersen. So hopefully they get him back to the wing. But, um, uh, you know, him and Garland are developing a little bit of chemistry. So that's been good so far. Yeah, n- nice to see Connor Garland play well. I mean, we hadn't seen much from him, but it's so early. It didn't matter. You know, those are not it's – a, it's an interesting dynamic where it's like a guy like Philip D. Giuseppe can make a huge impact by playing well. But a guy like Connor Garland, it doesn't matter whether he was, you know, he could have come out and, and lit the lamp on every shot in training camp and it wouldn't have mattered. You know, I, that's not what he's going to be judged on. The leverage right now, like the guys for whom the last week matter are Rathbone and Ulevi and Hunt and Di Giuseppe and Chason and some of the other names we've gone through, Lockwood, Highmore. Uh, so, you know, I think the, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Don't, don't, don't worry too much about vets, including JT Miller at center. I'm I was guilty of it. I'm like I'm done with that. It's like whatever. It's preseason. Uh, but the guys, there are guys for whom the last week mattered a lot. I think we've already seen some stratification in terms of where various Canucks sit in the pecking order of some of the club's most contested roster battles. We're gonna do this again later in the week. Hopefully, we've got more news or we get close to the whole saga involving Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and Travis Hamanick for that matter, and even. Brandon Sutter, because we don't know what, what's going on there with his fatigue situation, but hopefully we get some answers to this as we get into the end of this week, because there's no more preseason games until Friday now. And then uh, then after that, uh, 
these roster spots will take shape because not much is going to be won or lost before then. Travis Green did say, though, that they are going to lighten the roster a little bit, so expect a few cuts in the coming days. Thanks for listening to our show, and if you are listed, if you are interested in other podcasts at The Athletic, check out Joel Quenville, the head coach of the Florida Panthers, who spoke with Ian Mendez and Haley Salvin on this week's Athletic Hockey Show. Marcus Foligno is Mike Russo's guest on this week's edition of Straight from the Source, and John Bucciagras of ESPN joins Craig Custins and Sean Gentili on the Athletic Hockey Show USA this week at The Athletic. Thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platforms, and don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts to get the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, and it's just 99 cents a month after that. You are not going to get a better value anywhere. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are 50% off when you visit theathletic.com slash fancast. Two in the books. Are we are we feeling it? I think we've done three, man, so maybe not. I think this was our third. Our third, so our, but it's our first formal one, right? Because wasn't the first a teaser? No, we did, we did two podcasts last week. All right. I thought the first one didn't count because don't they do soft launch? No, no, no. We we went we went all in, man. Our soft launch was like a shrug video that we posted on Twitter. Like we <laughs> we we went hard once we started. Like Elias Pettersson will have to. Uh, it's our second week. Maybe that's what you meant. There you go. Our second week. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again to do it later in the week.